you're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions tonight are Alex Days from Umtomba Wealth and Mark Dutoy from Oyster Catcher Investments. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gents. Uh, pretty sharp gains that we are seeing in the markets today. Uh, quite a lovely picture, really something to celebrate. Um, Alex, I want to start with you. Uh, is that all that the, the, the U.S. print um, that that came out, and also, what do you make of the pace of the of the easing there? Yes, good evening. Um, no, certainly, it's good to see a rebound in the markets, and that's all due to, as you say, the slightly better uh, inflation numbers in the U.S. And I think the market up in the U.S. about five hundred points. So certainly, it's been a big bounce there. Um, so look, I mean, the market, I always say this, but the market swings in the pendulum when it comes to emotions. So whenever there is slightly better news, tend to have a, you know, quite a big reaction towards it. Of course, the same with the negative news. This is certainly positive. I mean, we're seeing, if you compare inflation numbers in the US, the overall basket components compared to, call it June last year, almost all components are better from a plain perspective, bar one or two of cleaning, of course, shelter. Um, so yeah, it's certainly looking better, but Time will tell if, if this is the, you know, if, if this momentum will continue. But certainly positive now, and we certainly will take a bit of a rally in the markets. I mean, it's been very tough ever since in, in July, so get a bit of a breather is, is certainly appreciated. Yeah, indeed. And it seems we're getting closer and closer to that 2% uh, inflation target by the Fed. And just talking about the Fed, Mark, um, does this change um, any of your perceptions in terms of what the Fed could do for the rest of this year and maybe rate cuts? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess everyone is expecting rate cuts towards the back end of next year. Um, I mean, the, the Fed's inflation target is 2%, so we're sitting at 3.1 currently. Uh, I mean, we do expect to see uh, more um, pressure building in the system as rates are at high levels now. So we're expecting to see, I mean, Europe's already in recession and next year, the U.S. GDP growth rate is going to going to come down dramatically. Um, so I do think we will st- we will, we're still going to see a, a more tough uh, macro uh, outlook. But I mean, there's a lot of research that we've that we've read about you know trying to time the market, and you need to actually buy equities ahead ahead of the rate cuts. So you can't wait for the rate cuts, and that's kind of what we're seeing today. The first sign of of Inflation beating expectations, um, being lower than expected, and uh, people with with money who've been waiting to buy the market are seeing this as a as a good time to to enter now. Uh, quite a lot of buying that we did see today on the JSC as well. Um, but let's get to the 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 viewer questions uh, before we actually get to what uh, investors bought today. Um, this is a very interesting one. What happens to your stocks held in easy equities if the purple group goes bust? And uh, when is the purple group going to post these results? I thought it was today. Uh, Alex, yeah, something that I've actually never thought about. Uh, purple group is still uh, is making a loss. So if it does go bust, what happens to your easy equities holdings? Well, I'm not sure when the purple group will report. Um, but certainly remember they are on a a phase where they are doing lots of investing so that is why they are loss making in this particular stage obviously when they are in a tough period of time they can perhaps just stop 
do less investing and perhaps get back to profitable terms. So, but this hopefully there is also get a sense where the business is from a solvency and liquidity perspective. Obviously, the business is also more than just easy equities. It's you know got the old uh, GT well, G247 trading business. You've got Rise, which is the retirement consulting business, etc. Um, also, a crypto business, which I think is part of the easy equities. So there's a few components in there. Easy equities. I think Sunlump owns about 25 or 30 percent stake, somewhere about that, in Easy Equities. So I imagine if something ever had, does happen to Purple or they're unable to be the majority shareholder going forward, I imagine there is a shareholder in Sunlump that can take it out easily. So I, I wouldn't have any concerns. Also, if something does happen, I mean, you, you remember you're still a shareholder in the business, like nothing with the platform. Even myself, like, you know, if I use a stand bank or Investec, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter which platform you hold, the share is in. I mean, you're still unlying shield and so your shares are still, should be theoretically safe. Okay, I hear you on that point. Um, just as Purple Group, as an investment, uh, Mark, it is still in its growth phase. I mean, they even did the rights issue to fund their uh, expansion, uh, expansionary investment. How do you look at Purple Group at this point? They're, as I said, they are still making a loss in terms of their growth runway from here on out. Yeah, I think that they've, uh, I mean, they've done a fantastic job in launching a, a platform that uh, retail investors are are, are, are using and, uh, I mean, growing their, their user base. Um, I think that their prospects are good and they've got technology now that they can uh, roll out into. I know they're looking at a new geography as well. So I think that there is still a lot of uh, growth runway ahead. And, um, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a small cap stock and so, these things tend to take a, a while to kind of gain recognition um, and you need to really be, you need to open your market cap to grow so you can get into the indices and that's when the, the share price will really start to reflect um, the underlying value of the company. Ah, all right. Well, let's go into the uh, big caps. Uh, ShopRite. Um, ShopRite results recently did not impress me at all. An increase in sales of 13% versus a forward P of 19 is not good enough, in my opinion. A classic example of a high-quality company at an expensive share price. The other food retailers offer far better value. It astounds me that Pick and Pay's market cap is less than one-tenth of ShopRite. Something wrong here. Pick and Pay takes uh, trades on a forward P of 16 times. Spa also looks uh, like good value to me on a forward P of only 11 times. My money is on spa and pick and pay. These retailers will gain market share back. I back the new CEOs at both retailers. Your opinion on shorting ShopRite and long positions on pick and pay and spa. Alex? The, the companies are, are vastly different from each other. So you can probably dedicate a whole episode just discussing the merits of each investment case. Mm. Something that's important to highlight. So it's going to be difficult to give a detailed explanation now and there's my short answer here. But... Also, remember, there's a difference between operational performance and actually about value of the business. So I think ShopRite's performance operation update was quite good. I mean, that 13% of this economic environment and gaining market share, you know, um, most likely of keeping volumes call it flat or growing in this environment is very, very good. While evaluation 18PE, considering where interest rates are, discount rates on South Africa is better than the high end. So as a result, ShopRite does look relatively more expensive than some other companies in Africa, but also deserves a premium rating just because it continues to do well. Um, and also remember, Sopra will also be a huge beneficiary if a load shedding is better next year. 
right? So, I mean, they just highlighted they paid 200, about 290 million this quarter for load shedding costs. That's pretty much a billion in profits. It will be just free profits for them next year if there's no load shedding, for example. So that will obviously increase earnings and so forth. So it's quite a few factors I think you need to consider there uh, in ShopRam. Spa, of course, got lots of operational issues as well as debt issues. Um, I mean, specifically issues overseas. I mean, we know that the Switzerland business is, is terrible. They probably need to exit that as soon as possible. They're exiting the private business as we speak. And then they've had a bit of hiccups in, in SA. Um, and as well as the debt and SAP implementation and so forth. I do think it's an interesting turnaround story at, at, Chopra, uh, at SPA, but there is execution risk, um, you know, as a result. That's why there's some investors on a sideline, but you can certainly make an argument for it. But longing SPA and shorting Chopra, I'm not too sure about that, but certainly there is different components to each investment case. I think the viewer needs to consider. Yeah. I mean, just also this increase in sales of 13%, uh, Mark, isn't there a high, high base effect from the prior period as well because of the looting in the other period before? Um, yeah. And also, are we, yeah, are we not expecting too much uh, for, from ShopRite at this point, uh, considering the environment, but also going into pick and pay and spa as well? They've had a lot of issues. And I mean, how confident are you that they can actually get back to solid footing? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I mean, we we thought the operational update from ShopRite was was good. I mean, thirteen percent revenue growth. I mean, I think is a strong number in this difficult environment. Um, we are seeing food inflation come off, so I mean, that's a bit of a headwind for the for the food retailers. But I guess the the key for me is um, will pick and pay and spa be able to claw back market share from from ShopRite? So the viewer said that they believe that, and in, in that case, I think that his idea of going long spa and 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 um, can pay is a, a good one. But for us, I think that ShopRite has such a dominant uh, place in the market now. I think it's going to be quite difficult for for them to to lose share to other players that can invest more in in price, which make it even more difficult for pick and pay and spa to compete. And then their sixty sixty app is just. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it's world-class and it's leading the market. So ShopRite is expensive, um, but I think that continues to take market share. And for that reason, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shorting ShopRite. Yeah, very interesting uh, point that you bring up there, that they already have so much market share, 55 months of more than 55 months of uninterrupted market share gains there on ShopRite. So, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. Um, let's go into document storage. Uh, Metrofile, uh, would you kindly ask your panel about the metrics or the merits of an investment in Metrofile at these levels, Alex? And of course, they've gone beyond paper, where now they've gone digital, trying to expand uh, their revenue streams to kind of speak to the current environment. Would you be going into Metrofile right now? Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think Metrofile. I mean, the share price of Lake last 10 years has gone nowhere. Mm. And it's pretty much a reflection of what's happened operations well in the business. So there was a period of time where Metrofile was over-indebted um, and they get they traded us out, out of that position. And at that stage, physical storage and regulatory environment was in their favor and it did quite well. It was a very good dividend paying stock. But the business um, has made some poor capital allocation decisions uh, over the last call it five plus years. It was also a failed takeover of the business. Um, and 
you know, it's just difficult to see where the organic growth is going to go. Like, and uh, the returns of capital it, it, um, doesn't seem great. I mean, they've got ventures in Africa as well as the Middle East and so forth. So, and they haven't really been able to do the conversion from physical to digital storage as, as profitable as it needs to be or exciting as it needs to be. So, for me, the business, um, I think there's more compelling opportunities in the African market. If you're specifically looking for local small cap stocks, I think they are ones that better growth prospects, better balance sheets, better capital allocation records. Um, but saying that, I mean, you know, it's not a business that's particularly expensive, and you know, it's, it'll do, probably do okay for you. But you know, it's not my preferred pick uh, in that space. Yeah. All right, Mark. Uh, what do you have to say about Metrofile? Yes, I mean, I agree that. Um there are better opportunities in the small cap space. I mean, Metrofile for years was a fantastic uh, dividend payer, and I think it continues to be that. Um, but the growth, they are challenged from a growth point of view. So um, I think it is kind of a steady eddy stock. And in the small cap space, we always prefer to, to own uh, companies with more growth opportunities. Uh, all right, yeah, and just seeing that graph, yeah, the share price really has not gone very far in 10 years um all right let's move on to uh more questions uh, 91 i've held this stock for some time now but it just seems to be going sideways any future prospects of this stock improving its performance uh alex do you have to wait for interest rates um to to decline and the markets to come back yes yeah, so 91 of course is as a management firm so its valuation is a function of amount of assets has got under management. So obviously the our asset loss prices perform has an impact on that number. Um, I think I, I read on re- report that most of the competitors AUM dropped about 14% and, and 91 only 7%. So they're doing still relatively better than some of the competitors. I think it's important to note that this is a very global business as well. They've got very sizable um, businesses in, in Europe, Asia as well as and, uh, starting in North America obviously it's Africa-based, big components, of course, in equities as well as fixed income and moving into other asset classes like alternative and so forth. So it remains a a world-class asset management firm, however, still small in the bigger scheme of things when you think about global peers. But as an African perspective, compared to African players, it it is big, right? So I think it's what I like about 91 is that the core management investment teams remain in place then. You know, not like some other competitors. So if they show you long-term performance, you know the guys that delivered are still there, right? So that's a major important part of them. And as a result, I do think that at some stage in the future, they'll perform well again and generate alpha and performance fees and so forth. So it's a business I do like, but it's about all about the cycle. You know, and the moment cycle is not necessarily in favor of as management firms, but if you're willing to be patient and you want to have as management exposure, and as an African investor, I think 91 is an excellent option. Obviously, if you think globally, there's other options also to consider, but certainly business I like. Um, but I don't think it's going to shoot the lights out in the short term, unfortunately. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, that trading sideways uh, was to be expected. Um, if Just being as an investor that is in it already, Mark, do you hold on? Yes. Um, I mean, we like in 91 um, We like the global exposure. We think, I mean, obviously markets are tough at the moment, um, which makes it a little bit uh, less easy for asset managers to grow. But as soon as market returns come back, um, then you get a, a, an operational gearing effect. Um, and in one will do well, and their performance um, has been well. So we think that they'll continue to be able to attract assets. 
Um, and it's a very well, well-run company, well-respected team. So, yes, we like the business. Yeah, all right. Let's get into some of the company news that came out. Um, finally, Glencore inks a deal with Tech Resources uh, um, on that uh, steel uh, making a coal business. Um, Alex, is this what markets have been waiting for? Because I did see that share price up uh, almost 4% at this point. Uh, and what are markets looking forward to here? Yeah, so I think this has been well guided. We all know that Glencore you know, has been looking to strike a deal here. Um, so I think the metrics they're paying for the asset, from my perspective, seems you know, quite attractive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the plan here for, for Glencore is as soon as this deal gets approved, which only be uh, able to get about Q3, Q4 information I've been getting get next year. So I thought I can take some time. Then after that, two years from that date, uh, Glencore would like them to de-gear the business and then you know, unbundle all of the coal assets in a separate entity, which I think can, can create value for, for certain specific asset investors. Remember, at the moment, a lot of global investors do not want to invest in, you know, carbon type of stocks or you know, fossil fuel stocks like uh, like coal, but there will always be certain type of investors that want that because of the high yields it offers and so forth. So, Glencore is looking to, to bold scale, yeah, world-class asset. Uh, and this, this is very good assets they buy. I mean, make no mistake, but they're buying in Canada as very good business. Um, so, and then I'm looking to uncreate value by unbundling over time. But I think in the meantime, you know, we are relatively constructive. Uh, I think call, call it short to medium term. I think the lack of supply and fossil fuels will probably mean that there's a flaw to the ship, to the prices and perhaps a bit of strength. So I think while we're waiting for this degearing to happen, because at the moment also they're making about free cash flow at spot, about $6 billion. Uh, so they're making very good cash flows as, as it is. So it's a good business, good cash generation, and I think value unlock opportunity is quite plausible, call it three years from now, and also hopefully in a better uh, equity environment, because at the moment, you know, equities are quite weak, but two, three years from now, things might be a little bit more rosier after we've had a recession and so forth. Ah. Would you say at these levels, Mark, that this uh, maybe would present an opportunity for an investor to go in in hopes of uh, the value unlock that an investor could get um, with the demerger of this coal business? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. so Glencore now at the moment is mainly a, a copper business and then a, a coal business. So you have to have a view on the two commodities. Um, I think copper has been struggling a little bit because of the weak macro outlook. I mean, people expecting a recession in the US um, and there's been a bit of additional supply coming to the market like um, Anglo-American Scalaveco, Mines are starting to to ramp up and produce more copper. So I think in the in the shorter term, sort of the next year, it's probably a little bit more difficult um, outlook for for copper and for thermal coal prices. Um, and then the big question is when they do the unlock. So when they unbundle the, the coal business um, and then that's left with the copper business, it's it's going to be interesting to see what what the coal business trades at and what the copper business trades at. And the expectation is that the copper business will re-rate. Um, it, and I mean, I guess it's difficult now to, to kind of predict what that what that multiple should be. So, um, I mean, we do prefer Glencore over some of the other diversifiers at this point, but I mean, it's not a stock that I would rush out and buy tomorrow. 
Yeah, all right. Well, another uh, stock that markets went and rushed to buy today is capital appreciation. Uh, Alex, you were talking about how there are better opportunities in that small cap space. I think at some point it surged about 12, 12%, 11, 12%. Um, and it had released a, kind of a trading update, not too much color, but just saying that uh, its uh, earnings are expected to uh, more than double. Um, uh, but also if you take away the impact of the expected uh, credit loss raised for GovChat, uh, that it would dec decrease by as much as I think just more than 7%. Um, capital appreciation, would this be one to look at in that small cap space? Yeah, certainly. It's, it's one that you do like in the small cap space. So I think, first of all, they gave an update a month or two ago, which was very disappointing. Mm. Once again, lack of detail there, and I think that caused a lot of a spook in the market. This set of results, if you strip out, I mean, earnings are still slightly down here on here, which is still well below also expectations called it 12 months ago. So it's still a disappointing result. But I think there's a couple of things you need to understand in, in, in capital appreciation. First, the revenue tends to be quite lumpy. Right. Payments business, for example, it's very difficult to say, you know, it's not like, not annuity type income, so it tends to be lumpy. So you will have to odd bad six month period. Yeah. And also in the sense of this business, um, the, they have been investing a lot in staff there, and that obviously comes with cost with no revenue. Hopefully over time, revenue will come from that business. So, and also I think the accounting they use uh, tends to be very conservative. They do tend to expense everything instead of using capitalizing costs and so forth. So it's difficult to say on a high level trading statements what exactly is going on there, but I do think there's a couple of things that will probably be cleared out, ironed out when the results do come out. Even though this was a disappointing update, I think the business is still very well positioned. I mean, but balance is extremely strong. I mean, I've got net cash, which is roughly about a third of the, of the market cap of the business. They've got assets, which can grow. They did a recent acquisition of a business called Darius as well. Time will tell how that application has been. But, you know, there are some question marks, but I think there are more, there's more things to like than not a valuation. But let's wait for the results, get a better understanding. But certainly the valuation, I think, is compelling. Uh, if, if, if the investor is willing to have some patience and forms part of his risk tolerance. Ah, all right. Uh, Mark, would you be as optimistic on capital appreciation as Alex or not? Yeah, maybe not as optimistic, but it's not a business that we know particularly well. Um, in the payment space, I think that there's quite a bit of competition, but management have seemed to be able to make good acquisitions um, over time. And I do like the, the you know, that there are, um, I mean, they're large owners of the business as well. So typically you do get a good outcome um, uh, in that uh, kind of ownership type scenario. Um, but John, not something that we're currently invested in, and, but we will keep an eye on them. Uh, all right. Well, something uh, that you do uh, have an eye on as well today, your stock pick. Uh, Alex, what will it be? Yeah, okay. I'm going for, for mass real estate. So the share price has been under pressure ever since it failed to declare dividend at this full year results. Now, there's quite a few things I need to consider. I'll try, try to highlight it. But in a, in a nutshell, mass is in the process of completing you know, some commercial uh, properties, roughly about six, five malls, one office. They can decide to can or delay one or two of those. That's an option. But, and this will cost the region of 440 million euros by financial year in 2025. That's important to understand. But the first point is that of that, about 290 million is still outstanding. And about one half of that needs to be funded for, for his partners, the other half from, from Mass. Now, this is where the uncertainty comes in a little bit. So some investors got a little bit spooked saying, well, 
you know, perhaps they'll have to fund the bill and, and so forth. So there are some risks, but this also creates opportunity in our view to buy mass at a very compelling uh, price. I think important to note that mass is still one of the highest disputable income yield companies, lowest LTV and fast rental growth you can buy in, in South Africa, obviously exposed permanently to the Eastern Europe or Romania. So we think some patience will be required. And if there's any visibility that dividends will be reintroduced, you know, that, that the actual JV party can sell the residential properties, which will reduce some of the funding risk, or the JV, actual JV structure, which also some concerns about can be collapsed or something can happen there. This, I think, can all of you create a massive catalyst for reacting over time. So it does have some element of risk, but we think, it, you know, the balance of probabilities in favor of buying at this price point in our view. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's why we like MAS at the moment. Ah, all right. Uh, Mark, where are you finding opportunity today? So today I'm buying Anheuser-Busch, uh, the big global beer brewer. Um, we think uh, when times are tough, people will drink a bit more beer. But uh, really the business case or the investment case is based on the fact that they're going to T-gear the business. Uh, they already showed that um, the, the path to uh, three times net debt to EBITDA, they're currently at 3.7 times. We think as this as the debt gets paid down, the business will re-rate, this equity will be worth more. Um, plus, um, they've already um, ex uh, fixed their interest bill out for the next uh, 14 years, so we don't have to worry about the high interest rates. Um, and uh, as, they, as they pay down their debts, uh, earnings will rise. So you're going to get uh, growth in earnings, plus you're going to get um, a nice dividend yield, which will rise. And uh, they tend to also do share buybacks. And recently they announced the $1 billion share buyback program. So I think we think over the next three or four years, you get an, an, a kind of a 18% per annum return in rands. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis today, gents. Really appreciate it. That is all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, uh, Alex Days from Umtoma Wealth and Mark DeToy from Oyster Catcher Investments. Up next, the close. Stay with us.